Having trouble staffing up? You're not alone. Our industry is facing an unprecedented labor shortage, and tech will play a central role in solving that problem. Yelp Kiosk was built in 2018 for restaurants who couldn't afford to pay a dedicated host. In 2021, Yelp Kiosk is supporting restaurants that want to do more with less. By adding Kiosk, your host is no longer trapped behind the host stand, enabling them to assist in all front-of-house operations. Learn more about how Kiosk can help your restaurant at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash kiosk. Now here we go. We had to have reservations this year. We took out the tables. We had to eliminate walk-up service at the bar, all of that stuff. And this was one of those places where we thought for sure, like the guests were going to revolt because they had to have a reservation. They're used to walking up. We set hour-long table turn time. So like you got your table for an hour and you had to leave. We thought for sure they would revolt. None of those things happened. Instead, we were booked every day, nonstop. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. We spent a ton of time talking about pandemic pivots, but what about the evolutions that have resulted from this apocalyptic disruption? We should talk about the permanent changes operators have made that are having a lasting positive impact on their businesses. Ian Palmerville and the Spruce Peak Lodge are having their best year ever. Why? They didn't pivot. They evolved their concept to meet the changing needs of their customers. They did this by leveraging the latest tech and tactics out there. And in today's episode, Ian runs us through what they've done and the tremendous impact it's had. The Lodge of Spruce Peak is a 314-room hotel here in Stowe, Vermont. We are the only slopeside hotel here at the mountain. In addition, we have a village of residences and so on very much in the ask of sort of that Deer Valley sort of concept, sort of that West skiing vibe here on the East Coast. So in addition to the hotel, there's some townhouses, there's homes and estate plots, all those type of things, as well as a private club here on property, the club at Spruce Peak, which has a championship golf course. So it really allows our guests to have sort of a multitude of options, both in their entertainment, but it also allows us from the hotel's perspective, we have a wide range of guests because we have everyone from leisure guests to owners who are here part-time to owners who are here full-time and club members and Airbnb guests because it's a condo hotel. So it's a very interesting dynamic. For sure. How did you end up there? I actually got the job as the general manager of restaurants four years ago and then two years in was promoted to being the director of food and beverage. My background was sort of in a wider range of food service options. You know, I sort of joke that I've worked at every level of the industry, both in service style as well as in levels. I've done everything from quick service and fast food franchises to Starbucks to legal seafoods and a host of chains. And then I've also done Roland Chateau hotel restaurants as well. And so kind of done a little bit of everything in the industry. I think like a lot of us have and had the right opportunities. And here in particular, it happened to pull together and serve me better in my role, I think, than originally I would have anticipated. You know, I really kind of thought I came here from a Moe's Southwest Grill franchise to being the GM of this multiple high-end restaurant sort of concept, 
which was very unique to me. But then as I settled in, I realized, oh, there's a coffee shop and I've run one of those. And oh, there's a pool bar and I've run one of those. And oh, there's a pizza shop that when we want to do, yep, I've done that. And so it kind of worked out that breadth of experience in my past really kind of has fed me well to then have a better understanding at a property like this of how all the different operations work because I didn't grow up just working in high-end resorts and not knowing how a Pizza Hut cranks three, $4 million in delivery a year, or how a Starbucks can generate what they do in guest count in a day and still provide a good experience for their guests. It's got to be an interesting dynamic. So for me personally, I owned a dive bar in Hollywood, I owned a fast casual concept, mission-rated fine dining. And you're juggling the same people all day long, but it's definitely different expectations based on the concept that you're standing in in that particular moment. And I've always found that even the guest interaction with the same person in a different setting is so different. When people would go to the bar, they acted a certain way and they expected a certain thing from me. And that changed when they walked into the fine dining restaurant. How did you successfully navigate that, considering the fact that it's all of these different tiers kind of all on the same property? I think you hit the nail on the head, right? The expectation from the guests is different in those different environments. And so a big thing that I pushed for in particular is recognizing that they are different and that they can truly operate differently and on different levels. The service that goes on in Solstice, which is like the farm to table fine dining restaurant, we do not need the same steps of service at the pool bar. It's okay. The guests don't expect us to have the same steps of service. But at the end of the day, the service levels are different and making sure that that experience is catering to what people are expecting in that particular outlet. And that's where I think my experience working in those different types of outlets allowed me to sort of provide some of that feedback to the property as a whole. Like, hey, this does not need to look like that. We could actually operate these differently and have them set up differently. And I think, too, not reinventing the wheel. Like some of the companies I've worked for do this extremely well. If you're going to build a coffee shop, running it like a Starbucks is not a bad way to go. And so I think leveraging some of those things, sort of those best practices, that I saw from some of the different companies that I worked for and pulling the ones that made sense for the outlets that we have here and whatever we were trying to do has really helped me. And seeing all those different types of operations has also helped me better understand and I think dive into operations in a very in-depth manner. So when I'm building restaurants, really being able to understand what is flow really going to look like and how are guests really going to use the space or how is the staff going to use the space. Well, and did you employ the same tactics when it came time to pivot for the pandemic? Was your first step to look at what other businesses were doing and maybe the Starbucks of the world, what did Starbucks do? And then you adjusted your operations accordingly? I mean, I kept an eye out to see what they were doing. It was like, where were they going with things and trying to, I think like a lot of us, trying to figure out sort of a balancing act, how much of a reaction? How severe of a reaction did you want to have on the front end to everything? Whose guidelines were you going to operate by? I think in those first couple of months, we're really touch and go with all of that stuff, right? No one really knew. We were trying to figure it out. And so I very much kept an open eye to like, what are the other industry leaders doing? And two, what are some of the benchmark properties and companies in the industry doing? Are they opening? Are they serving? If they're serving, what are they doing for service? How much are they serving? 
Can I go to QR menus? Can I go to like regular printed menus? Does anybody care if I just print on white paper instead of fancy cardstock? If I throw it out, it seems dumb, but you started looking at stuff like that and then wondering whether or not people were going to give you a hard time. Like, how am I going to pay $50 for a steak, but you're giving me a piece of white copy paper, but no one cared. Yeah, absolutely. There were so many aha moments for me, at least, that came out of the pandemic. I would say within 30 days of the pandemic hitting, one of my first big realizations was that I didn't own my customers. The third-party delivery owned my customers, reservation software owned my customers, that I hadn't really taken the time or the opportunity prior to the pandemic to really work to nurture a one-to-one relationship with my customers. And it was just this catastrophic weakness that I was totally blind to prior to the pandemic. Did you have any aha moments like that? The biggest one I had by far was I truly thought I knew what I was doing and that like the direction I was going was the right one. And then stuff that I was assuming was just wrong. You know, it's funny. Last week, I was talking to a friend of mine who's been running the same restaurant for like 20 years. And he and I were chatting about this whole thing. I hadn't seen him in a long time. And I asked him how it went with the thing. And he commented, he's like, I'm almost embarrassed. He's like, there's stuff I've held on to that's just the way it is for like 15 years that I had to change and it worked and it worked better. He's like, how am I still employed? He's like, I can't believe I didn't see that. For me, I very much felt the same way. Like I was going directions that I was confident in, that in having being forced to pivot and forced to reassess things that were just blanket assumptions. And like, oh, I really can go over here and I really could try something different. Like, that's really kind of fun. And the guests were much more responsive to the different changes here and there. And that was fantastic. I guess my next question would be communication and expectations. So to get back to the original part of the conversation, as you're running all of these places, they're in different tiers with different expectations. You're still serving people even throughout the pandemic. And so how did you effectively communicate that things were going to be different and set the right expectation for the customer? Again, across multiple tiers of dining. A lot of communication. Here at the hotel, the pandemic really improved the communication across the property because here in food and beverage, we were really intertwined with the reservations team and pre-arrival teams and so on. So that we were trying to really communicate before people even got here and set some of those expectations, like whether it was, hey, reservations are going to be mandatory because of capacity limits, where we just aren't going to be able to seat nearly as many people. And letting people know ahead of time, like you could download the app for in-room dining before you even got here. So you could take a look at menus and get an idea what the different outlets offered, not just through the website, but in a more interactive, like what are my options sort of way and understanding what you could order for your room and what choices were you going to have? Because a lot of people wanted to stay in more. So giving them a better understanding of that. So there was a lot of communication in particular that we did with the guests before arrival to the hotel that sort of kickstarted that. The other piece, honestly, was social. It was leveraging that social media piece to so that guests knew, hey, I can see what you're doing and it looks like it's going well. I'm comfortable going up to there to the hotel. And here in Vermont, where we had our case counts were lower than everybody else's, that was a real sort of thing to try to get over. 
is like, how do we let people know you're safe coming here and we're providing a fun environment, but it's still a safe environment and then trying to get that messaging out anywhere we could. I think everything you're saying is so important because I spent a lot of time on the show covering folks that lost everything and folks that pivoted and they've managed to survive. But I think it's also important to recognize that throughout the pandemic, some businesses actually improved. They hit record sales and streamlined operations. And no one would argue that the pandemic is a blessing. The net result of that experience turned out positively for the business owners and operators within the industry. And your lodge is a great example of that. And so I want to dig into like really actionable stuff now. When you set out to fix what you saw was broken or things that needed improvement, where did you set your sights on first? The technology piece. We knew right away we had to make the call. So the winter was really the biggest issue, right? Summer season for us was kind of a wash. Obviously, it was the front end of the pandemic. That was survival mode. We got to have some fun. Great. But then we sort of went to winter, and when things took a downturn in November in particular, the situation was getting worse again. And so we had to make a call of how many people we were going to have, and that number was low. We ended up down almost 40% in our department alone from our normal winter staffing model, which is fine as long as winter business stayed down 40%. Not that anyone wants it there, but that was the bet, right? That was the gamble. And then as the winter season went on, I had asked back in November, December, I'm like, if we're going to do this, then we're going to have to relook at some technology pieces and so on. Because if the guests come back, things rally and it's February, it's March, whatever, and the skiers start showing up, we're going to need to be able to flex to be able to handle that volume. because We just will not have the physical bodies to do what we normally do. And the technology piece in particular was somewhere that we needed to make a real investment. And so we did that. And we did it in multiple ways. Converted our in-room dining program to an online ordering program through a third party with eHungry that was extremely useful and fantastic. And that just allowed us to streamline that piece of it and get all of our guests ordering off QR codes. And all of a sudden, now I didn't have somebody answering the phone all night long, but the orders were coming in themselves because now I have 300 rooms, everyone can order themselves. Yeah, it means I have a lot of orders, but of course you can throttle and manage that and set a limit to how many I can take, but I'm not trying to take all those phone calls. And so that allowed us in our in-room dining business, we were up over a hundred percent. We did more in-room dining revenue than we've ever done in the hotel period. So we did that. The next piece was our POS system. The POS we had was antiquated and outdated and not flexible. We knew that we had to figure something out that was better. My point is always to invest in things that are going to keep me going for the long term, right? I need stuff that's going to be flexible. It's going to grow with the business. To give you an idea, you talk about all the outlets we run. So there are like 10 plus or minus outlets operating on property, usually about seven or so at any given time throughout the years. Summer, summer, always summer, winter. When I got here, there were five. Five for the year, three at any given time. Now we're at 10, seven at any given time. And by next spring, summer, I'll be at 12 with eight or nine operating at any given time. And with that amount of growth, plus we're building more buildings here on property, the property is going to continue to expand in that direction. 
How are you able to scale to that degree? Well, that's what we've been investing in. And that's where like the new POS system comes into play because we looked at, okay, I need technology that can update all the time that I'm not bogged down by major pieces of hardware here on property. And I needed something, I wanted a partner in particular that I knew would be able to partner with different third-party options down the road, right? Because I don't know today what piece of technology I'm going to be looking for in three years. I know that the POS system I buy today needs to last me a solid seven, eight, at least, if not 10. It's a major investment for any business, whether you're a single restaurant shop or you're large scale. It's a big chunk of that opening budget is dropping on that POS system and making sure you have something that you can have small scale when you need it small scale, but know that it has the ability to ramp up to meet demand if you grow is critical because it will limit you drastically if you can't get there. If it doesn't have the ability to get where you want it, where you see yourself in the next five to 10 years in terms of scale and size and operation, then you're just making a choice that's going to limit you. We chose to go with Oracle Symphony. It had a cloud-based system. And I knew that as I shop around for third-party vendors, they're big enough that they integrate with most of them. And so it makes life much easier. I actually get choices. If I'm shopping for a new whatever online ordering system, I can probably find one that partners and works and integrates pretty easily with Symphony, as opposed to other on the market who are self-contained, right? Where they play with them. They have their own sort of format. I have my own online ordering system and it's my way and I have a payment device system and so on, rather than allowing me to have choices that I can then curtail to my business the way I wanted to. And that was huge. So we did that. That change allowed us to invest in two critical pieces of the technology for us, which was one, going to tablet service and two is pay at table devices, both of which for us were new. And they're not brand new pieces of technology, but the technology has come a long way over the years and has finally kind of caught up to the industry a little bit. And so those two allowed me to operate with less staff because my staff were now more efficient. They were doing less trips back and forth to tables. They're wasting less steps walking to server stations to ring orders in. When guests are ready for checks, they're not doing three back and forth trips to go print the check, back to the table, back to the POS, close up the check, go back to the table, get them to sign, go back to the thing, close it out. All of that's done in one transaction. They do it themselves. They get up and walk away when they're ready. The guest doesn't sit around waiting for you. What does that mean? That means my tables turn faster because the guest isn't stuck waiting 10 minutes while the server gets sidetracked by the table five who has four questions on their way back. And all of those things that we know go on every single day. Have you guys thought about doing order at the table as well? Yeah. So actually for this summer, I'm currently working with a vendor, GoTab, to input QR-based ordering for a couple of our outlets. We're continuing to have challenges with J1s on a national level. And there are some countries that just aren't processing visas this year. And so we're hoping for half the number we originally asked for, just better than zero. And the job market too, the job, the unemployment in Vermont is right back down to like 2.6% in the industry. So we're right back where we were pre-pandemic and there aren't a whole lot of applicants. And there, we have a couple of outlets in particular that lend themselves to a limited service model where you can sit, 
QR based ordering. I got a runner to bring you your food. We're probably going to do that both for our pool bar as well as for our sushi restaurant because both have a nice format for it and the style of service makes sense for those outlets, kind of like we were talking about originally. And again, we were able, sure enough, it's a company that will fully integrate with Oracle Symphony. So it integrates with my POS, which is amazing. Not only do they place the order, but it goes right to my normal POS system and communicates everything through. It prints tickets right on my kitchen screen and they can process the orders immediately. There's no lag. There's no staff interaction to have to make it happen, right? The staff doesn't need to be the catalyst to activate that order, which just makes life much easier. And so to still it out, you went heavy into social media. You created new revenue streams by attacking the local residents in the area. You created operational efficiencies through online ordering, POS, and all of that. And the net result is, is that in February of this year, with only two-thirds of your available dining capacity, you guys hit record sales. Yeah, so we had a couple of outlets in particular that just blew it out of the water. One in particular was the Whistlepig Pavilion, which is the one you're referring to, that really, here was an outlet that was based on straight-up walk-up no reservations, no real management of the space because it was just busy all the time, right? It's like that local dive bar where there's just mass people walking in every night. So why manage them? They're all coming. We're making money. Life is golden. Why mess with a good thing? We had to have reservations this year. We took out the tables. We had to eliminate walk-up service at the bar, all of that stuff. And this was one of those places where we thought for sure, like the guests were going to revolt because they had to have a reservation. They're used to walking up. We set hour-long table turn time. So like you got your table for an hour and you had to leave. We thought for sure they would revolt. None of those things happened. Instead, we were booked every day, nonstop. And so all of a sudden, everything else started working smoother. And so, yeah, so, you know, February of 2020, we had had a record year in the space. It was our third season, or this is our third season open. It was our second season open. Killed it we thought was the best we could ever do. This year, we were up 24% in February. March, we did almost as much revenue as February and just absolutely crushed the year. It was just a true learning and, oh my God, if we actually paid attention and let ourselves focus on like making it better, we could have a better time of it. And I think what you brought up at the beginning about the quality of life for the staff members in the industry, right? We kill ourselves and sometimes you're killing yourself just to survive. This was a place where the staff came in, they had a great experience every day, so they were in a great mood. And so we cut the hours, we cut the tables, I decreased the staff and we generated more revenue. Which is a huge lesson, right? That's a huge lesson for everyone to hear. And it just makes the whole thing more achievable. Well, now let's pull those lessons forward. Let's assume you get fired tomorrow and I hire you and I'm like, hey, man, I'm opening a new restaurant. It's going to be amazing. If you were to bring the lessons that you learned over the last year into that restaurant, what would you do differently based on the lessons you've learned? How would that restaurant be set up? For me, I'm always reminded about something my dad always told me, which is never made choices today that limit the choices you have in the future. And I think if I'm setting up a new restaurant, especially today, and especially after last year, that resonates more true than it ever did. Because 
I want things that are going to be flexible. So I would start with, like I said earlier, I would start with technology that can both be a minor investment on the front end, because I think it's critical. Like there's no reason to buy a Cadillac if all you need to do is get to and from work. <laughs> it's nice, but it's not necessary. And I think oftentimes in restaurants, that's something that goes on. I think you need to find something that can grow with you over time. So finding the right technology partners who can both be small scale when you want them to be small scale, but then will grow into everything that you could possibly imagine down the road. That to me would be the number one thing I would do. And then two, I would build a new operational model for this and look at the space differently and stop looking at space and just go, okay, how many tables can I get in this space? And how many seats do I need to seat tonight to be able to make the numbers work that I can generate profit tomorrow? But rather, after this year, what if I want to sell merch someday? Or what if I want to have a little market out of the corner? Or what if I wanted to have live music on Friday? Or does the space work for anything I could possibly imagine? And how would I flex the space to be able to do that? I think that was the other thing in particular that I really took out of it is like, stop looking at the space and in the way this is the only way this space works and functions but rather how else could I possibly use it? How else is my line set up in a manner that can I crank family meals out the side and do a family style meal out the side while I'm also doing plated service out the front? Is my kitchen stuff to do those things? I don't have to do all those initiatives on day one, but I think having the understanding that I need to be able to do this any way I could possibly have to so that you're not trying to having to like reinvest at the moment of having an issue. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests the opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? I think as an industry, we need to find a way to prioritize ourselves a little bit and prioritize our staff a little bit more and our management team a little bit more and finding a way to change how we operate that allows us to enjoy the job and have some fun with it rather than just trying to survive. And I think for a long time, I've always kind of been in that survival mode. And this year really taught me how to look at things differently. And that's a life lesson I won't be able to forget. That's Ian Palmerville. For more on the resort, go to sprucepeak.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.